Well, welcome everybody to this edition of When the Heavens Lorcan Down podcast. Today we're going to have a fourth revival sermon and we're going to be starting in Second Chronicles chapter 29 looking at the revival in Hezekiah's time. So the first point we're going to look at is what was Hezekiah's background and who was he? Well, in verse 1 it says, Hezekiah began to reign when he was 5 and 20 years old, and he reigned 9 20 years in Jerusalem. So very simply, Hezekiah was a king of Judah. Um, his father was Ahaz, and he ruled in Jerusalem for 29 years. Now, what about his family background? Well, in the same verse it says, and his mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. Now, if you look at Second Chronicles and the kings, the mother's name is mentioned a lot, actually, for the different kings. And that can be good or that can be bad. But in this case, I believe it actually is good because she, his mother, Abijah, was the daughter of Zechariah. Well, Zechariah was a man who spoke like a prophet and was actually killed for speaking like a prophet um, to a previous king. Um, so I believe that uh, Hezekiah's mother was a good influence upon Hezekiah. Um, now, what about his father, Ahaz? Well, that's where things are dramatically different. Now, when you go to Second Chronicles chapter 28, we will get a good flavour of what Ahaz was like as a father, or as a king. Chapter 28 verse 1 says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. But he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord, like David his father. For he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and made also molten images for Balaam. Moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the son of Hinnom, and get this, and burnt his children in the fire after the abominations of the heathen, whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Can you believe that, folks? Ahaz sacrifice his own children um, in the fire to these foreign gods. Absolutely incredible, isn't it? And somehow Hezekiah escaped. I believe a lot of that had got to do with his mother Abijah. But this is a wicked man. To burn your own children in a fire, offering sacrifices to these Syrian gods. Absolutely incredible. But that's the kind of father that Ahaz was. Not a very good beginning. Well, if we go down then to verses um, 22 and talk about Ahaz, it continues. And in the time of his distress, did he trespass yet more against the Lord? This is that King Ahaz. For he sacrificed unto the gods of Damascus, which smote him. And he said, because the gods of the kings of Syria helped them, therefore will I sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. So he sacrifices unto these gods of Damascus belonging to Syria, thinking they helped Syria, they'll help me. But God says they were the ruin of him and they were the ruin of Israel. Idolatry, folks, will ruin us, will destroy us, especially spiritually. And it goes on, and Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and he made him altars in every corner of Jerusalem. So basically he closed the doors of the temple, the temple that Solomon had built, where they were to worship God. But no more. And then 
and every several seed of Judah, he made high places to burn incense unto other gods, and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers. Remember, Scripture is inspired by God, and God tells us that Ahaz, Hezekiah's father, provoked God to anger. Now, we're sinners. I'm a sinner. I can be provoked to anger pretty easily. Um, I'm sure many of you can be too. It's not a good thing. But this is God Almighty who is long-suffering, who is willing for none to perish but all to come to repentance. God's anger is holy, is righteous. It's never sinful. Ahaz provoked God to anger. That's the kind of father that Hezekiah had. And as I say, somehow Hezekiah survived that he wasn't offered as a sacrifice by his father in the fire to these Syrian gods. I believe his mother had a part to play with that, of course. Well, not a good beginning. So what can we learn from this background? Well, I think uh, both positive and a negative. Um, the positive thing is that even though your family background may be evil or bad, um, it doesn't mean you have to be. You don't have to be a failure. You don't have to be evil. You don't have to follow in your father's or your mother's footsteps if they're evil too or if they're uh, worldly or compromising. You can be different. We can't use our family backgrounds as excuses. You know, I'm a father. I sin. I have failures. Um, But my children are still responsible for the choices that they make to follow the Lord or not. And so are you. So Ahaz was a wicked father but Hezekiah was not, as we'll see. But don't forget, he had also, uh, I believe, a godly mother called Abijah, who I believe had a great influence upon Hezekiah and certainly protect him as a child so he wouldn't be offered a sacrifice um, into the fire. So that's Hezekiah. Um, he's um, um, king of um, Judah. And his family background, mother was good, his father very bad. So, who was the prophet that spoke to Hezekiah and what did he have to say? Well, very quickly, the prophet was the great prophet Isaiah. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 1 and look at verse 1. And it says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So you see, uh, Isaiah was around for four kings. He was around for Hezekiah's great-grandfather, grandfather, father Ahaz, of course, and Hezekiah. So Hezekiah was around for quite a while. Hezekiah actually is my favourite prophet. In fact, I would say Isaiah is my favourite book of the Bible. Um, It covers uh, prophecy. Um, it covers science and about the Messiah, Jesus Christ coming. Um, it's an incredible book. And tradition says that Isaiah was sawn in half for what he preached in the book of Isaiah. And we're going to see here uh, what he did preach. because So we know that Isaiah was a prophet that spoke to Hezekiah. But what did this prophet have to say? Well, let's read starting in verse 2. Isaiah said, Hear, hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth. For the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. Hmm. Who are the children who have rebelled against God? Well, God goes on to say, The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people does not consider. 
this is God's people Isaiah is talking to. Isaiah is not talking to the Philistines. He's not talking to the Edomites or the Babylonians or the Assyrians. No, God is talking to Judah, his people. Now, my ministry here is based on the verse Second Chronicles 7.14, um, which says, If my people, which are called by my name, God is speaking to his people. God is speaking to believers in the Old Testament and God is speaking to Christians here in the New Testament. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Again, God is not talking to this round of nations. Uh, Isaiah does talk to this round of nations, but he's a lot to say more to Judah, God's people. Christians are God's people, you know. The book of Isaiah is speaking to God's people uh, a lot and certainly in chapter 1. So let's see what uh, the prophet Isaiah has to say to God's people to us. He says, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel to unto anger. They are gone away backward. This is what God has to say so far. Why should you be stricken anymore? You revolt more and more. The whole head is sick and the whole heart faint. From the sole of the foot, even the head, there is no soundness in it. But wounds and bruises and putrefying sores, they have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointments. It's kind of a, like a, a medical description here about a sick body. God sees Israel or Judah, his people, as a sick body that has wounds that has not been healed. And of course, he's speaking metaphorically here. He's talking about sin. He goes on to say in verse 7, Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Your land strangers devoured in your presence. And it is desolate as overthrown by strangers. The country is desolate. Cities are burnt with fire. Strangers devoured in their presence. This is not good, is it? You see, Jerusalem has not been destroyed yet. But the rest, um, or a lot of the cities of Judah have been destroyed by the Assyrians already. And the country is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And this is God's judgment upon his own people. Verse 8. And the daughter of Zion is left as a cottage in a vineyard, as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant, we should have been as Sodom, and we should have been like unto Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. So, isn't this incredible that God is calling the people of Judah, Sodom and Gomorrah? And except for God's mercy, they should have been destroyed. Judah should be destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah, which is by fire and brimstone. That's how bad Judah was, folks. That's how, this is the state of God's people in the days of Isaiah. Wow. He goes on to say, verse 11, To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, say the Lord? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. So here God is talking about their religious life, about offering sacrifices in the temple, okay? Um, God is saying, I don't want your religion. I don't want your Christianity. I don't want all your meetings and things that you do um, um your heart is far from me you're not in a good place he says when you, when you when you come to appear before me verse 12 who would require this at your hand to tread my courts 
Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and the Sabbaths, the call of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even a solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hated. They are trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when you spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. So again, God does not want their religion. God's not interested in just religion, folks. Just playing Christianity, going through the motions, doing this, doing that, doing the other. God is looking at our lives, our hearts. And he is telling the people of Judah, I'm not interested in your sacrifices, in your religiosity. You know, I think much of the church today has become religious, religi- religiosity, I can't even say it, um, churchianity. Um, it's about a personal relationship with God and our lives and what's going on in our hearts. And God says, when you pray, I won't hear you. So we may look good on the outside and we're all the things that we do and doing, doing, doing things. But God tells the people here, I'm not going to hear you when you pray. Wow. Um, he says in verse 21, How has the faithful city become an harlot? It was full of judgment, righteousness but lodged in it, but now murderous. Thy silver is become dross, thy wine mixed with water. Thy princes are rebellious, these are the leaders now, and companions of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts, and followeth after rewards. They judge not the fatherless, neither does the cause of the widows come out unto them. Therefore, saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, ah, I will ease me of mine adversaries, and avenge me of mine enemies. And I will turn my hand upon thee, and purely purge away thy dross, and take away all thy tin. So clearly God here is not happy with the people of Judah. And um, this is in the days of Isaiah, who lived through four kings. You know, Hezekiah is the king at this stage, and now it's his turn to listen. Okay? But, so God here is bringing a message of condemnation, but he also gives an invitation. And he says in verse 16, Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do well, seek judgment, relieve your press, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. And here comes the great invitation. Come now and let us reason together, say the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. What an invitation, what a promise. To come and be cleansed from your sin, to be holy, a pure people. And God goes on to say in verse 19, If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. This is the main part of Isaiah's message to the people of Judah, God's people. If you're a Christian, you are God's people. Okay? Um, most modern preachers today that I hear of in all kind of circles, when they preach from Isaiah or Ezekiel or Jeremiah, they apply these messages to the lost. I've seen it many times after reading such strong condemnation verses at the end of the message when they would start to sing the closing song in church, they would sing 
happy clappy songs about how great it is to be saved. You can imagine the people of Judah responding like that after Isaiah had just said what he just said. Well, let's see what Hezekiah's response was to the prophet Isaiah's message. Did he start singing happy clappy songs and how great it is to be saved? No, he didn't. Well, go back to 2 Chronicles 29. It says about Hezekiah, and he did that which uh, sorry, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. So you see this about every king um, as they begin to reign. God tells us were they good or bad? Did they do which is right or do that which was evil? In Hezekiah's um, time, he did that which was right. He heard the preaching of Isaiah the prophet, and he decided that he was going to do right. In fact, the next verse says. He, top of Hezekiah, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Remember a few minutes ago, we read from the previous chapter how Ahaz had basically closed the doors of the temple and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of God. He basically stopped worship and basically damaged the, um, the house of God, the temple. But it says here about Hezekiah in verse 3 that in the very first month as king, he opened the doors and started to repair the temple. That was the first response. But he doesn't just stop there. Verse 4. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together unto the east street. And he said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites. Sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. Well, there's a couple of things here that we need to know from verse 4 and 5, which I just read. First of all, uh, Hezekiah speaks to the priests and the Levites. When it is the, it should have been the priests and Levites speaking to Hezekiah. The priests and Levites, they were the ones who worshipped and served God in the temple. The priest should have been teaching, the Levite should have been teaching Hezekiah. But instead, Hezekiah the king has to come and teach them. But you know, Hezekiah, he's not like obviously a priest or a Levite, but he's a leader. You know what we need? We need Hezekiah today to come and speak like this uh, to God's people, whoever they are, leaders. Preferably, it should be the pastor of the church, but certainly in the home, it should be the father. And it should be men of God that need to be raised up. Because you know what? The bottom line is we need Hezekiah's raised up like this that would speak like this. Hezekiah speaks to the priests and Levites when it should have been them speaking to him. But that's what he did. And notice in verse 5 he tells them to carry forth a filthiness out of the holy place. He's talking about the temple of course. But when he says the filthiness, do you think he means like get a broom or a brush and a mop? Well, that might be included, but I don't think that's what he means by carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. He's talking about sin. He's talking about idolatry that was in the temple. Get rid of it. You know what? It's, we need to get back to calling sin, sin, and not like just calling mistakes or aberrations or something like that, you know? Um, here, Hezekiah calls it filthiness. You know, God is holy. The Bible says that God's eyes are too pure to behold evil. He calls sin, sin. He calls it wickedness. He calls it rebellion. Okay? Um, filthiness. That's what Hezekiah calls it. And that's what he tells the priest Levites. Now Hezekiah can't do this himself because he's not allowed to go into the temple and do that. That was the priest and Levite's job. 
um, Hezekiah's was it um, his um, his great grandfather Uzziah. Uh, he went to the temple to burn incense and God smote him with leprosy. So Hezekiah can't do this, but he commands them. And this is what we need is uh, strong leadership, godly men rising up and saying, get rid of the filthiness out of the holy place. Now, folks, um, today as Christians, we don't go to a temple like Solomon's temple anymore. But the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that our bodies is the temple of the Holy Spirit. What filthiness needs to be carried out from our lives today as Christians that hinders and that grieves the Holy Spirit from working? I want you to think about that. What filthiness needs to be carried out of your temple today? Hezekiah goes on to say, verse 6, For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God. And have forsaken him, and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord, and turned their backs. You know, there are some great prayers in the Bible, um, in the Old Testament, that we could really learn from. You should look at the prayers of Ezra. I think it's in Ezra chapter 9, and Nehemiah uh, as well in chapter 1. And uh, who else is there? Um, Daniel in chapter 9 as well, of Daniel. And how they pray so honestly, so humbly. And they would pray, we have sinned against you. You know, Daniel said, we have sinned. Um, Nehemiah, Ezra, these were godly people. And yet, godly people are always humble people when it comes to sin. They're not blaming others. They're looking at themselves. We can look at other churches and see their problems and their sin. And it's probably true. But when it comes to revival, we have to come and pray, Lord, we have sinned. And here... Hezekiah says, our fathers have trespassed. Our fathers have turned their way, their faces from the Lord. They've literally turned their backs. Remember God said, I will never leave you, never forsake you. You know, God said that in the Old Testament as well, the New Testament. Uh, God doesn't forsake us, we forsake him. But here Hezekiah is putting the blame on, on himself, on his own people. It's not on the Philistines, the Assyrians. It's not on the world. No. He goes on to say, verse 7, Also they have shut up the doors of the porch, talking about the fathers, and put out the lamps, and have not borne incense, which is a picture of praying, nor offered burnt offerings in the holy place unto the God of Israel. Worship has stopped. Praying has stopped. Verse 8, Wherefore the wrath of the Lord was upon Judah and Jerusalem, and he had delivered them to trouble, to astonishment, and to hissing, as you see with your eyes. So because of Judah's sin, God's wrath is poured upon them. God hates sin. You know, folks, God judges his children. He really does. You look at the uh, seven churches in Revelation, five of the churches he tells them to repent, including the Laodicean church of their lukewarmness. Now, many people believe that the seven churches are seven ages. I do not believe that. I just think there are seven churches with seven different situations. But even if you believe that uh, the ch- seven churches are seven different ages. God tells the Laodicean church, supposedly the last age, to repent of their lukewarmness, to repent of their compromising with the world. Okay? Um, and so God does judge his people. He judges all sin. Um, and God is a father, and he's a good father. And like any good father, uh, you would chastise your children. And so God's wrath is being poured upon the people of Judah. And it says that he... They were delivered to trouble, 
to astonishment, to hissing, as you see with your eyes. Verse 9, For lo, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters, and our wives are in captivity for this. In fact, if you go back to Second Chronicles 28, it actually tells that when Ahaz, Hezekiah's father, fought against the Assyrians, that in one day, the Assyrians slaughtered 120,000 people of Judah, men of Judah. 120,000 in one day. Lord, folks, even today, that will be huge. So their fathers were being killed and their sons and daughters were in captivity and their wives. Let me tell you, as a man, as a father, as a husband, as a Christian, my sin affects my children, my wife and people around me. So does yours. You know, you're not neutral. It has an effect on others, not just yourself. But now here's Hezekiah's determination, verse 10 of chapter 29. Now it is in mine heart to make an, a covenant with the Lord God of Israel that his fierce wrath may turn away from us. Hezekiah says, we've got to stop this judgment from God. We need God's forgiveness. We need God's wrath. Our hand of judgment will be taken off us and I'm determined to do it. That's a good leader. That's why we need Hezekiah today. Uh, to act like this. So he says in verse 11, My sons, be not now negligent, for the Lord had chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should minister unto him and burn incense. So this was Hezekiah's reaction to the prophet Isaiah's message. It's an action of repentance, isn't it? It's an action of turning back to God, opening up the temple, taking out all the filthiness, all the idolatry, all the sin out. And this is what he commands the priests and the Levites. And he tells them, do not neglect this. This needs to be done. This is your job. Now go and do it. That is Hezekiah's reaction. So what do the priests and the Levites do? How do they react to Hezekiah's command then? Well, if you skip down to verse 16. And it says, And the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord, to cleanse it and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord and the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it, they carried out abroad into the brook Kidron. Well, a couple of things we can learn from this verse alone. First of all, it says there, and the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord. You know, Hezekiah was not allowed inside the temple to do these things. He would be in somewhere else, okay? In fact, I don't think he was even near the temple. He waited for them to come to him. Only the priests and Levites could go in. But you know, as the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord, they didn't just do, just, just do the outer court, the outer part, but they went to the inner part. Someone put it this way, that the inner part of the house of the Lord was that part which was further from the eyes of men, but closest to the eyes of God. You know, they could have just done a, a, a lick and a promise type of job. They could have got away with hiding things in the inner court, but no, they didn't. These were serious about this from what the prophet had said and from what their uh, king had said. So they went to the inner part and got that filthiness out. Forded from the eyes of men that nobody else would know about. Not even the king Hezekiah. They could have filled him. They could have covered things up. But that's not what the Bible says. They went to the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it. And it says they brought out all the uncleanness, all the filthiness. And they brought it out. And the Levites took it, all the filthiness, and threw it into the river Kidron. I believe that river doesn't exist anymore today. It's dried up. But they used to get rid of all the rubbish into the river Brook Hedron and would be washed away, never to be seen again. And this is what revival is about, folks. The inner part of our lives. 
That part that only you and God know about, right? Your thought life even. What idols are in your heart? What are those things that offend God that needs to be got rid of? Well, God knows about it because it's the inner part of you. It's called the inner man. Look, we can look good on the outside. We can play religion. We can go to church. We can do all the stuff. But God knows what's on the inside. You know, anger problems, pride problems, lust problems, anything. God knows about it. It needs to be got rid of and thrown into the brook of Kidron as a were to be washed away. You know what? It's great to be pure and holy. It's great to feel washed by the blood of the Lamb, even as a Christian. And that's what needs to happen to the church today. We need to go to the inner man, the inner part, that which is further from the eyes of man, but close to the eyes of God. And that's what the priests and Levites did. Verse 17. Now they began on the first day of the first month to sanctify. Isn't that incredible? We're already told that Hezekiah opened up the door to the temple in his very first month. You know, which is true. And here the priests and Levites, in response to Hezekiah, an urgent command, I believe, on the very first day of Hezekiah's reign, in the first month, they began this um, cleansing uh, project, as it were, to sanctify, to make the temple holy and clean before God. That's what it says they began on the very first day. See, what often happens is, uh, dear believer, is that we'll hear a convicting message. Uh, I've done this myself. And you're convicted about getting rid of this kind of stuff in your life that is not good, that um, is, is not pleasing to God, that is worldly, uh, fleshly. And you know you should do it, but you put it off. And then you go back to it again. When you're convicted about something, even now, deal with it now. I'm telling you, you've got to deal with it now. Don't wait, because the flesh is weak. If God's convicting you of getting rid of something in your life, do it now. Do it today. Do it on the first day. Because that's what these guys did. So it says they began the first day, the first month to sanctify. And then the eighth day of the month came day to the porch of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. And in the sixteenth day of the first month, they made an end. They did it within two weeks. They did a thorough job. Nothing was left unturned. Do you ever notice how fussy God was about how the temple was to be um, organised and run, including the priest's clothes? You know, so much detail. Um, because God is a God of detail. But the temple, remember, is a picture of God's presence there and even of heaven. And um, it's meant to be holy, you know? Uh, and it, 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 they had to do exactly as he said to do. The problem with Christianity today is that uh, we have little sins and big sins and we compare ourselves with ourselves. But if you compare Christianity to former days, we're very worthy-minded. We're very easy and tolerant when it comes to sin, you know? We really are. And we might do one, get rid of one or two things, but we keep some things. But they did a thorough cleansing of this temple and within two weeks, the whole job was done. It says in verse 18, Then they went to Hezekiah the king. And said, We have cleansed all the house of the Lord and the altar of burnt offering with all the vessels thereof and the showbread table with all the vessels thereof. Notice they came to Hezekiah. Hezekiah probably was in his own house, in his palace, uh, as it were. He wasn't waiting outside. He waited for them to come to him. They had to do what they had to do. So, again, you can be convicted and you can be confronted by a message, uh, by reading the scripture. You've got to take action. It's up to you to do it. You know, you've got to do something. And Hezekiah 
commanded them and he waited for them to come to him and they did. And he told them, we've done all that we're supposed to do. They went on to say, moreover, all the vessels which King Ahaz in his reign did cast away in his transgression have we prepared and sanctified and behold, they are before the altar of the Lord. So again, they did a thorough job. They left no stone unturned as it were. In fact, if you just flip forward then to chapter 31 verse 1, because this is a, this a revival goes into a lot of detail, but just skipping that chapter, just a, yeah, chapter 31 verse 1, and it says, Now when all this is finished, all Israel that were present went out to the cities of Judah and break the images in pieces and cut down the groves and threw down the high places and the altars out of all Judah and Benjamin in Ephraim also and Manasseh until they had utterly destroyed them all. Did you hear that? Until they had utterly destroyed all the idols in their lives. Then all the children of Israel returned, every man to his possession, unto their own cities. Wow, what details. They utterly destroyed all the idols that was in Judah. They left no stone unturned. So that was the response of the priests and the Levites. Actually, this message will be in two parts. Um, we'll do part two um, sometime this week. Um, but here's how we finish off our last point. What should our response be to? Well, it's not really, you know, it's, it's not rocket science, is it? God is looking for his people to repent. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. You notice it says the word if. That's the operative word. It's not automatic, is it? It's conditional. If my people, he's talking to God's people, he's talking to you and me. Okay? Remember Ananias and Sapphira? In Acts chapter 5, what did God do? God killed a husband and wife because they lied to the Holy Spirit. That's the New Testament. And the Bible says that fear came upon the church and everybody heard about this judgment. You go, I just think that Christianity is too comfortable and tolerant with sin today. And it is destroying us. You know, the idolatry destroyed Ahaz and the people of Judah. It says so. They were the ruin of him. Idolatry is ruined the church. It is sucking the life out of the church. I believe we are grieving the Holy Spirit of God. We are vexing him at best. We are quenching him. The Bible says quench not the Holy Spirit. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. We all know what it's like to grieve over the loss of a loved one. That's, that, that's how strong that word is when it says grieve not the Holy Spirit. Sin grieves God. Okay? It grieves him. You know, when my children... Uh, do something nasty against me over the years, it grieves you, you know. Um, um, I know it's like as a father. Um, well, God is a perfect father and sin grieves him. Second Chronicles seven fourteen is the verse to end on, isn't it? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. Many times you will hear people saying, Lord, humble me. And God will look down from heaven and, and say, I said, humble yourselves. You must humble yourself. I must humble myself. Another word for humbleness is honesty. Start being honest. You know, when you read about revival accounts, and we're going to read, I'm going to read a revival story tomorrow from the Congo, um, Lord willing, tune in for that, just to give you a taste of what revival is like when you actually uh, read one and see it described clearly. Um, you know, God, revival is God dealing with his people. That's why it says, if my people, which are called by my name, 
we must humble ourselves. We must humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face. Another, another way of putting that is seeking God's presence and turn from our wicked ways. But it does say the word if. If we do these things, then God says um, he will hear from heaven. Remember, it says, Hezekiah said that God is not hearing their prayers anymore because of their sin. Well, it's the same with God too. He cannot hear prayer. He cannot answer prayer when we've sinned. So he says he will hear from heaven. He will forgive our sin and will heal our lands. Now, Ireland, of course, is not, or to say that, um, yeah, the, the, the church is not Israel. The church is not Israel. Um, and Ireland is not Israel. So when it says heal our land here, we can apply this in a, in a spiritual way to our lives. Your life will be healed. Your spiritual life will be healed. If you will humble yourself and pray and see God's face, seek his presence and turn from your wicked ways. If you do that, God says, here's what I will do. First of all, you will have answered prayer. I'm going to hear you from heaven. Because now you're holy, now you're pure. I will forgive you. And I will heal your life. You know what? If there was to be a revival in the churches, in Christians in Ireland, our country could be healed, by the way. It could go that far. There has been great revivals in countries uh, through the centuries. And many places, literally, spiritually, have been healed. You know, sin destroys countries, doesn't it? Sin destroys our churches. Sin destroys our lives. As we see with Ahaz, as Hezekiah said, you know. So, how will you respond to a message like this? You know, this is my great burden. You know, before I preached this message, I was praying literally in tears. For God to revive me. Because I have grieved God. I have lost that power, the blessing I used to have. And it affects everybody I know, including my own family. I'm telling you, we need revival. We don't need more church services. I'm not saying that's wrong itself. More prayer meetings, more youth meetings. We're doing these things. Clearly the church is in trouble. The deception that's going on, the darkness that's going on around the world with this whole coronavirus thing. It's a real virus, but it's not a pandemic, by the way. And the control they have and the fear. And sadly, that fear is in the churches the deception, how they believe the media who are just bringing fear and it's all about control and I believe that's leading up to this one world government and eventually uh, the Antichrist and the mark of the beast which will come soon. But anyway, the answer is if my people, which are called by my name, will you humble yourself with me? Will you pray with me? Will you see God's face? Will you turn from your wicked ways with me? That's my intention. That's our great need of the hour. Well, I hope you're blessed by this message. Um, I'm going to end here. This is one of my favourite revival stories in Second Chronicles 29. It actually goes on to chapter 32. And I said we'll do the second part this week as the Lord leads. Tomorrow I'm going to read about um, just a short version of a revival that happened in the Congo in the 1950s. You're going to be blessed by it. I should real, uh, hear about a real account of what God did when God's people literally humbled themselves and God brought revival to the church months before souls were saved. God is, wants to deal with his people. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and will hear their lands. God bless you.